important record button and bam i say it every time it just <laughs> appears isn't that pretty cool good morning everyone it is tuesday and you know what that is with two sisters that is trending tuesday and we've got something trending a great guest today <laughs> which we're gonna absolutely love but good morning everyone this is carol sue aka naughty boss live from a bright sunny vera beach with two sisters hey good morning everyone my name is janice aka wellness diva 5.0. And by the way, I don't know who knows, <laughs> but five is my favorite number. And that's where that comes from. Anyways, Triumph Tuesday. We are so mm -hmm. excited to have our amazing guest with us, Dr. Donald Skip Mondragon. I hope I am pronouncing that correctly. Um, and I'm just going to read a little bit of something and then we're going to hop right into it because this really, when I read this, I was like, oh my gosh. This is something that um, Dr. Skip wrote. I'm a physician, comma, colonel and national res wrestling champion. I've been in the army 25 years and deployed 30 months to combat zones. I'm a tough guy. What happened? Lying on that musty carpet, I became an observer, participant and slowly put the pieces together. Finally, I admitted to myself, Skip, you're depressed, go get help. April 17th, 2014, I hit rock bottom and could not go on any longer. I needed help. Oh my gosh. Without further ado, I want to introduce to everyone our amazing guest, Dr. Skip. Welcome to the Two Sisters Triumph Tuesday podcast. Thank you, ladies, Janice and Carol Sue. I'm delighted to be here. Well, we are so happy to have you here. You know, often we, although we pretty much talk a lot about women's health and we do talk about men's health, that is important as well. We don't often really recognize, I think, the depth of which um, men go through with certain things that happen. And what obviously pointed out when you first said, I'm a physician, Colonel, a national wrestling champion. If you wouldn't mind, just take us back to that point. And by the way, thank you for your service to our country. Absolutely, I was gonna exactly just say that right now. Um, you know, that's one of the forefronts of, uh, you know, someone's personality to actually take that journey in itself and decide that they're going to serve. So uh, salute to you. And we thank you for, for your sacrifice and, and probably your families and your wife's sacrifice, yes. because with your yes. partner, it's a sacrifice for them as well. So Indeed. thank you so much. Indeed. And let me preface everything by saying you're absolutely right, Carol Sue, that when you serve that long, it's not just a service member, it's your family. In fact, uh, we, ha we have five children. God I felt, bless you. <laughs> I felt two of our children, our two middle children, our, our daughter who is our middle child and then our second youngest, I felt they would have been well-suited for one of the academies and talked to them as they were in high school and looking on to going to college. And I talked to them and said, are you sure you don't want to go to the Air Force Academy, the you know, Army Building, West Point, or the Naval Academy, and, or you don't want to apply for one of the scholarships uh, for the military, ROTC. And their replies were, no, dad, we have already served. 
Wow, that's that statement alone, how impactful and truth. And I'm gonna, you know, before you get into all that, I'm gonna ask you a quick question just on that one line. How did you, you know, what, I'm sure your response was great, but you know, when you really had to like really digest what she was sharing with you. I understood exactly what they were talking about because I had spent 37 months deployed. So I was gone over three and a half years out of my family's life. And that's exclusive of time that I spent training for different courses when I was gone two weeks at a time or longer at different intervals in the army. And then of course is the life of a physician when you're on call, you spend nights at the hospital, you're called away during holidays, you're called away during important events, weekends, other times. And then if you spend a whole night at the hospital, you come home the next day, dog tired. And that was our life. And so that idea and with every promotion, with every medal, I would tell people, my wife and my children deserve this a lot more than I do. And I truly wow. felt that way because their sacrifice was more than mine. When you go to a war zone, certainly that impacts you and you're always on heightened alert when you're in a situation like that. But you know they're concerned, they're worried about you. And your spouse, my sweetheart, she's having to manage initially five kids and then of course as others leave and the younger ones, but She's having to manage everything, all the household decisions, all the issues dealing with kids. And then as they're teenagers, all those issues that teenagers bring. <laughs> so, so my wife certainly uh, deserved those medals uh, and promotions, but the kids and, and my wife, they, they're the true heroes, I say. Oh, oh sweet. Oh. That is, that is so sweet and beyond amazing. That was just awesome. Yeah. Uh, let's, let's go back to that day you were talking about, April 17, 2014. Mm -hmm. Because you were quoting from my book there, uh, Janice. Mm -hmm. When I walked in that office, I had not intended to crawl under that desk, but I walked in and I always got to the office early because I didn't want to contend with traffic getting onto Fort Gordon there in Georgia. But Eisenhower Army Medical Center, walk in, you go past these plaques and photos of General Eisenhower and go down the shiny hallway towards my office, the very corner. All doors were closed. Nobody else was on the floor. So it was quiet, unlock the door, flip on the lights, put my lunch away. The ante room there was where my secretary sat and the refrigerator was there. It unlocked my door, I remember, to my office, stepped in And then 
I turned off the lights, locked the door, went over and closed the blinds, turned off my phones. That's when I crawled under that desk in a fetal position. And the next four hours, I kept asking myself, Skip, what are you doing? Skip, how, how, how did you get here? Skip, what happened? And then I began to think about what had been going on for the last nine months. And that's when I began to put those pieces together. And very slowly, as you read, I became that participant observer. Horrible insomnia to the point where I longed for even one to two hours uninterrupted sleep. These negative thoughts had battered me. You don't deserve to be a colonel. You're a fake. Who's going to want to hire it? You've let the army down. You've let your department down. You've let your family down. And just night and day, like this endless loop. You know, we call these negative ruminations. It's like a cow that brings up its cud, chews it, swallows it, and brings it up again. That ruminates. And those thoughts just batter you day and night. My concentration, my focus was off. I couldn't remember what I read five minutes earlier. I couldn't sit down and concentrate because my mind's just bouncing all over. My anxiety was heightened. I'd feel this fluttering in my chest. My hands would shake. My voice would quiver. I couldn't recall things, common things that I was familiar with. Names of medications or medical syndromes. You're talking to the patient and you can't recall something and you feel like an, a fool. Uh, uh, The loss of confidence, indecision, guilt, shame. And then I felt this bubbling up in my soul, bitterness, resentment, unforgiveness. And I, things I had long since dealt with. Where is this coming from? Why is this coming up? I withdrew, I lost passion, interest in my passions, wrestling. I've been a lifelong wrestler. Coaching the boys that I would coach, had no interest. Watching wrestling, no interest. Even reading about wrestling, forget it. Just didn't have any interest in it. It's like walking through life without color. Physical symptoms, my osteoarthritis, now just my body with aches and pains were, were worse. Infl depression brings inflammation with it. And so that was heightened. And then my libido, my sex drive was in the toilet. My mood, this blue mood. And when you're depressed, it's not a feeling down. It's this horrendous blue mood, like you're in this deep, dark pit. This palpable cloud 
heaviness that descends upon you. And you feel alone. You may not be alone, but you feel alone. And your life just contracts. So this was what was going on. And I had reached my, I was thoroughly depleted physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And I crawled up under that desk until I could finally say, Skip, you're depressed. Go get help. What I want to say to that is, first off, I, I'm still trying to uh, digest because I, I, I want, you know, we always talk about there's a story within the story, uh, within anyone's journey. And I have to say, part of the necessary part of the journey and really wanting to impact others is making sure you do due diligence and do just to the journey of itself in a story. And I really have to commend you on not only your rare, you know, raw sharing of your emotions and truthful and being honest of where you were from a physical aspect and a mindset aspect, you really took me, and I'm sure Jan's gonna say the same thing and, and, and the rest of our viewers and listeners, like we walked in that office with you. We drove that day to work with you. We went past all the things that you described. You know, your, I mean, I felt like I was with you as you turned the lights on and, and went through your normal ritual and then your subtle way of, I, I shut the blinds. I shut the lights and I have to say just in that alone, I, I've got goosebumps, shivers, uh, feeling all kinds of emotions. Jan, I mean, just, just from that one little piece, which was a huge piece, no, no less, but don't you feel, and I'm going to say Dr. Skip, cause I kind of like that. Uh, Dr. Skip took us right with him on that revelation and that real rawness of, of the awakening of really realizing where he was, don't you think? I felt as though I was watching a mini movie of that. Like I had the vision of it. I felt it and it did give mm. me chills. And for you to be so raw and vulnerable and share that with not only us, but our viewers and our listeners and our YouTube people. I just thank you from the bottom of our hearts for sharing that because that is the important process of getting help. When you realize, Dr. Skip, that you were depressed, you recognize that and you sought out the treatment and in your words, you hit rock bottom. For somebody to say that, um, but really feel that in that moment, and then going through what you went through to get the therapy and wanting to share your story, that is such, that's a major impact. It's like a ground zero type of moment. Yes, indeed. I, th I think so too. And I think as we frequently talk about women, I think, uh, you know, for the most part, they wear their hearts on the sleeves more. They do the juggling act. They, you know, because they're just constantly in so many directions, 
but you know, just because of the way we're built, we're built differently, men and women are built differently. We tend to like either bitch and complain to our, you know, our, our, our spouse, partner, our girlfriends, whatever. But I think frequently you find from a male perspective, and my husband and I have actually talked about that stuff, like, you know, you, you need to come out more, meaning, you know, share your feelings. And for a man, um, just from the male species is difficult. But then now you add in your role, you know, your service to your country, you know, being a leader uh, in, in athleticism with being a champion and now being a coach and then also a physician who people trust and put their trust in to have that revelation and to be open and honest um, really is a uh, testimony to your whole journey, but to the whole process that, that you went through that you're you're sharing with us. I'm, I'm just blown away. And part of the reason it took so long to get there, I think a couple of reasons. One is the way that I was raised and so many men were raised and are, ra are being raised is this idea that be a man, you know, you're told when you're a kid and growing up, be a man, don't cry, don't be a sissy. Mm -hmm. So you're told this as a kid. And so there's this idea of being socialized that if you show these emotions, you are less than you and anything that speaks of that makes you a wimp. So you grow up not wanting to express that. So men have suppressed, suppressed and suppressed some of these emotions so we grow up with this idea that we learn to only express a few emotions. We can express this elation, this joy, go team, go. We can express love. We can express anger. And most of these other negative emotions, I'm feeling rejected. I'm feeling lonely. I'm feeling sad. I'm feeling confused. I'm feeling frustrated. I'm feeling irritated. So many of these, we, we've lost touch with them. We, we don't know that we're feeling them. We can't identify them, much less put words to them. So how does it come out? Anger. Mm. I'm feeling disrespected. Anger. Because we haven't learn to identify and put words to them. And I've been saying this for a matter of years and I came across a study and a uh, well-known, at least in the literature and among psychologists, uh, Richard F. Levant, a psychologist, and he was a former president of the American Psychological Association. And in the early 2000s, he came out with this I, idea that he called normative male alex, alexithyema. And it means emotions without words. Wow. Not being able to put words to what you're feeling. And I've read this and I thought, oh my gosh, he's talking about what I've been saying. And he's put this in the psychology literature. So this is something that psychologists have been talking about. 
and looking at and doing research on for years. I'm thinking, wow, I've been talking about that and I had to come to understand that in me and now here it is. I'm saying yes, yes, yes. So it resonated when I was reading this. And so that's part of the problem. That's the way we're raised and socialized. The models we've grown up with, men didn't show these emotions. What's on the media? The tough guy, the rugged guy, the individual. That's what we see. Plus, I was bullied as a child. That's typically the smallest kid in my class. I was bullied. And then I discovered wrestling at the age of 13. Bullies left me alone. In fact, my brothers and I joked, you know, as, as, as I got older, much older, and say, where were the bullies then? Come on, bring them on. You know, I was bigger, not a big man, but where are the bullies? Come on. <laughs> <laughs> So all of these things, because when I got into wrestling, I took on this tough guy persona and then all the other things that went into that. Being that tough guy, I'm a soldier, I'm a colonel, I've been in combat zones for 30 months, all these things. And then you add to that being a caretaker. I took care of my four younger brothers from the time I can re remember and the third of eight children, my oldest sister and I took on these roles as caretakers in our family. And that's the way it's always been. I took care of my wife and my kids. I took care of family members. I took care of soldiers. I took care of people in my department. It, there's always been this caretaker role. So all of these things combined, and then you add to that the traumas you undergo as a child you know, growing up as a teen and as an adult uh, that accumulate. So it was all of these factors. It wasn't just the nine months there, but these accumulated traumas. And then this tough guy attitude, the way I was raised, that I couldn't see what was going on. And in wrestling, there's this idea, because wrestling is a grueling sport. It is a grueling sport that we talk about gutting it out and that idea that you just push through the pain and push that much harder. Your lungs may be burning, your muscles just aching, aching, but you just, you know, when you're training, you just go for one more rep. If you're doing push-ups or working with the weights, or, uh, doing a wind sprint, I'm just gonna do one more sprint and nobody's gonna beat me. Uh, you're on that mat, you know, you, all your body wants to do is stop. No, I'm not going to stop. I'm not going to stop. That's that mentality of a wrestler. Gut it out. And so that's the mentality I had. And that persona that served me well through my life. But it got me in trouble. It's that double-edged sword. Right. So at that pivotal moment, now you find, you know, that realization of skip, go get help, you know, being where you're near. And I'm sure I would, I would imagine that, especially in your profession as being a physician, you guys are not easy patients. 
Well, in this case, I, I was an easy patient because I, I knew I needed help at this point and I was desperate for help. Well, that's, you know, and, and that's commendable because I think a lot, you know, just again, coming from that male aspect and then what you do for a living, um, your profession. And, and I think that's amazing that you, part of that journey was that awakening that I, I do need help. I can't function here. Um, without going obviously into big detail, what was the next step at that point? Did you get up from under the desk and you know call someone or call home and say, you know, come somebody pick me up. I, I need I, help. If you don't mind sharing. No, not at all. I outlined this in my book and I've shared it multiple times. I got up, I went downstairs to my primary care clinic, asked how soon could I get an appointment with the psychologist associated with the clinic. They said next week, I made that appointment, went back up to my office, sat there for a few minutes, thought, I don't want to wait till next week. Mm. Picked up the phone. I called the chief of behavioral health. Hey, Joe, and explained to him what was going on. Can you arrange an appointment for me? I said, sure, Skip. Next, calls back, got an appointment for this afternoon. Oh, it helps when you're a colonel, you're talking to a colonel, you're chief of department, he's chief of department. Right. And even if I weren't and told him this story, I'm sure that he would have helped. So I had an appointment with a psychologist that afternoon. And she did a very thorough evaluation, including evaluating me for suicide and corroborated the diagnosis of major depression. And she and her chief, they had decided ahead of time that there was a therapist they felt I would, could work with very well. So they had already set an appointment for the next week. And I began to see that therapist on a weekly basis. And we did gel from the first meeting extremely well. So I was seeing my therapist on a weekly basis. He, after about a, a month, and he recommended I see my primary care provider for a thorough medical evaluation. She evaluated me, made sure other things weren't going on, but sure. there weren't other underlying medical causes, hypothyroidism, low thyroid, diabetes, any other medical diseases that could contribute to depression. She came back and said, Dr. Mondragon, I'm not finding anything here. I think you should be on medication. What do you think? And I said, yes, I think you're right. So she started an antidepressant. And then later I was seeing a psychiatrist who further adjusted medications. So I tell people I had the A team taking care of me and I really did. I received incredible care. That is amazing. And I'm sure maybe not necessarily from your perspective, but I'm sure you can relate to it, uh, those that, you know, when they go to, when they come to that realization that they need that help. Um, we, uh, our family, uh, my son, our son um, has suffered depression since he was a young child. Mm. He's got mm. some other underlying issues. Mm. And part of the stigma for him, uh, and I guess at 30, he's 38 now, is still the stigma in his mind that I don't want to, rely on medication mm -hmm. to live my life. Mm -hmm. 
like, why, why is my makeup that way? And I always yeah. explain to him, you know, some people just have a chemical imbalance. Their bodies are not producing the necessary uh, hormones and things that we need. Um, so I said, you know, try to, we've always tried to compare it to someone that suffers from diabetes, their body, you know, trying to get something that will correlate. But I frequently have talked to so many people that do suffer from depression and that's one of their biggest, and I hate to use the cliche word of hangups, but that's one of their hangups. Yes. I don't want to be a mess of my life. Why can't I just figure this shit out and, and get my life together <laughs> through, through exercise, which those things are also very much, you know, on point and you have to do, but you feel for them. And then the back piece to that, where you were, you were blessed and we are so grateful that you were blessed, but there are so many out there that when they come to that realization of depression, that they need the help they're not as fortunate. They're, they're jumping through hoops to find the right doctor to even get an appointment, you know, three months, six months down the road. And then the journey of really finding the right meds. So it's a whole gambit. Right. Yes, indeed. In the military, through the military system now, although I could go through the civilian sector, I'm seeing folks in the, uh, through the Veterans Administration because I feel that kinship Yes. with the veterans that yes it, it's horrible because we don't have enough mental health resources throughout the country and those that we have are are a distributed ways that they're concentrated in certain urban areas and then you have people because of insurance or lack of insurance that it's even harder for them to get access to these. And, and then because of insurance approvals and so forth, people have mm -hmm. to jump through hoops. Now, one of the things that we've learned through this pandemic is that by virtual appointments, I think this has opened up and made getting that appointment easier. But you still have the issue of appointments. But one of the things that we've come to understand too is there are many providers who are offering their services either at a reduced rate or in some cases pro bono, offering services, donating some of their time free because they understand we have a national problem. Yeah. And with that, I'm so grateful to hear that. But there is definitely that stigma related to medications. I knew for me, I needed, and I'm still on meds. So what? I understand that. And big deal. I still am in therapy. I need it. So what? I, I don't mind saying that. That's what I need. And I will continue that as long as I need it. But that doesn't mean I don't do things related to my lifestyle to try to optimize that also. And some of those are the lessons I learned, things that I highlight in my book, because there's so many things that go into this disease and it just doesn't affect us in that emotional way, behavioral way, but it's, it, it affects our entire being, spirit, soul, and body. It, it is all encompassing and you can't affect one part of your being without it affecting all of your being. How true. 
Absolutely. And that obviously brought you to that point where, you know, the mess that you were in, you turned that into your message. What was that like at that moment when you, when you decided to do that? Like, how did you plan out how you would do that? Um, what kind of transpired during that time frame? To turn my mess into my message? Is that what you're asking, Janice? How did that transpire? I was about six weeks into my treatment and still really struggling. And my prayers throughout that time that I was circling deeper and deeper into that pit and in the treatment had been, Lord, please, please, please deliver me from this darkness. And I had felt like my prayers were bouncing off the ceiling. I had committed my life to Jesus Christ when I was 16 years old and believed in the power of prayer. But God felt so distant during that time. I knew he hadn't mm -hmm. abandoned me, but felt so distant. And I had trouble concentrating. So it was hard to focus my mind, pray for any length of time. It was hard to concentrate reading the Bible, which was an integral part of my life. So those were my prayers. My brother, Chris, who I call my alter ego, my youngest brother, called very excitedly. And he had attended a Bible study with Franklin Graham, son of Billy Graham. And Franklin had taught these men in Raleigh, North Carolina on suffering, particularly brutal suffering of Jesus Christ on the cross. And the premise was if Christ suffered so brutally on our behalf, why should we, particularly as Western Christians, think that we should not have to suffer? And when Chris said that, it brought me back to this verse that I was familiar with out of the book of Philippians that Paul writes, oh, that I might know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. It's Philippians 3.10. I knew that scripture well. I had prayed that scripture perhaps hundreds and hundreds of times over the decades that I walked with Christ. But in my suffering, what did I want? Deliverance. But over a course of two days, my prayer shifted from Lord, please, please deliver me to Lord. What would you have me learn? And how might I use it to help others? And that, with that shift in perspective, that epiphany, I knew that I was going to have to share my message. I didn't know when exactly, but I knew I must share my message. That led me to begin to write down lessons I already had learned and lessons I was learning for when the opportunity would come about to share. And so before I retired from the army, I had asked our commander at Eisenhower Army Medical Center, because I had disclosed to the command, of course, and then later to my department, 
what was going on with me. If I could share my story and he did allow me to do that during a day, what's called officer professional development. So in the hospital auditorium gave me a morning and afternoon session to do that with the hospital staff at large. So I shared my story and lessons learned. But the idea of encouraging others who are struggling, go get help. And also that idea of preventive maintenance. Now I made three uh, service announcements with the Department of the Army talking about suicide prevention, mental health. And I understood I had a platform because I was a colonel, a well-known colonel. I had had all those deployments. I had a breast full of medals. I was this national wrestling champion. I was chief of my department. I had a platform, a very strong platform from which to speak. I was this tough guy. And people knew me throughout the hospital. So that I could speak from a place of credibility, a place of authority into the lives of others. And afterwards, there were people that came up and said, thank you for sharing. You know, I've been there. Thank you for sharing. I am in this place. Thank you for sharing. I know somebody who's struggling. And later, actually, it was this matter of months ago, there was a, a former doctor, a doctor who was in, used to be in my department, still in the army. And something came up. And I think it was after I posted something about a podcast I had been on or something to this effect and LinkedIn. And he commented and said, I remember the day you first shared and that was the most courageous thing I've ever seen. So I know it had an impact, mm -hmm. but the idea was to encourage those again who were struggling, go get help. Don't lose heart, but also to help others to know that you've got to take care of yourself so you don't end up like me. Now I tell people, don't pull a skip <laughs> where you <laughs> wait till you're fully depleted and end up in a desk, under a desk, curled up in a fetal position. Dr. Skip, what would you tell our, our audience and our viewers? Uh, you know, we know some common signals and signs of someone that's depressed, but most of the time, the, the loved ones around them are not really aware of the signs. Because sometimes when you're in, in the thick of that, I would imagine, you oh, I, I just got to shake it off. I'm just having a bad day. But then maybe a family member or a colleague or a friend really notices maybe it's a behavioral change or something. What would, what would you tell somebody, maybe three or four signs that, either the person deep in it doesn't know and or their family, colleague, friends don't know, what would be something that would help them maybe even, even if they're not, you know, maybe on, they're on the beginning roads of that, just even open up that dialogue. So things that they can look out for that might signal, hey, let's have that conversation. Well, the sine qua non, the uh, thing uh, that it must be there is that blue mood that I talked about, that uh, 
deep, dark place that a person gets, that palpable, heavy cloud that they descend into. So that's the thing that is paramount, unfortunately, and other things, loss of passion in normal activities. They don't want to do the things they normally do, be it sports, be it uh, time with family, uh, any the things that they used to be passionate about, they just lose interest in it. Mm. They withdraw. Their sleep oftentimes is disrupted. Insomnia, as was my case, it could be early morning awakenings, they go to sleep. And then in the wee hours of the night, bing, as I did sometimes, the rare nights where I could fall asleep. Within a few hours, I was wide awake and couldn't get back to sleep. Or in some cases, people, all they want to do is sleep. 12, 14, 16 hours or more a day, all they want to do is sleep. It could also be um, physical symptoms. You know, they're complaining of headaches, abdominal pain, aches and pains, fatigue. You know, in my case, you know, the aches and pains, the loss of libido, sex drive, especially in men. Um, it can worsen their other chronic diseases, diabetes, heart failure, um, heart disease. So it can make those things worse. The, the other thing is this confusion because it, it impacts our thinking. So the confusion, the lack of focus, the lack of, um, they're, they're not remembering things well. They're mm. unable to focus. It's not uncommon to have anxiety that occurs with it. So these are some of the, the cardinal symptoms. Appetite may be affected. Mm. So you look for this, but it's typically a combination of some of these things four or five, six or more of these, but the mood is the big thing. The loss of interest in your passions, sleep, appetite, withdrawal. You, you begin to see those things. And in men, one of the things that uh, is not uncommon and, and certainly distinct more so typically than women is irritability. So somebody who's normally not irritable and you see some of these other things men may become more irritable and you don't know why so oftentimes they're a family they're wondering what's going on mm. why why is why is my husband why is dad why why are they withdrawn why don't they want to do things why are they so sad why why can't they sleep why are they up whatever time of the night why do they keep getting up during the middle of the night they don't want to eat you know they're not interested in doing things with us they're not interested in their hobby yeah just, those are all great also great tips don't you think jan yes and um i just want to circle back for oh i can't believe i said that circle back <laughs> um about your book and I love the title of it. Wrestling depression is not for wimps. 
where can our viewers purchase your book? Easiest place is on Amazon. Yeah, I'm ordering that today. Hope it's coming prime. <laughs> I, okay. If I may, I received an award I heard about last year. I entered my book in a contest, the International Independent Authors uh, Book Award Contest. And in November, I received notice that it was a finalist. And then this past week, I received notice that I had received the gold award. And so that's what you see on that sticker on oh. the book. Oh it my gosh, congratulations. Congratulations, Dr. excited Scott. about that. Well, you should be, you know, uh, you know, we, we, we common, you know, talk about with different people, different clients, different customers, our friends or family, whatever, you know, different journeys and, and the, the vision and going after that goal that, that whatever you want to check off and who knew that the blessings that, you know, is trying as heartache the journey was to kind of get to that point, the blessings that came out, number one, you're going to be able to impact others with your journey, your story. And then the icing on the cake is the golden award on your book. I think that's amazing. <laughs> yes, I am. It is a blessing. I think that is amazing. And we are definitely going to order that, but we're also going to mail it to you so you can personally autograph it. Yes. <laughs> I want well, an autograph. Ladies, uh, you send me your uh, address, and I will I will send you an oh. autographed copy. I I typically do that when I am a guest on podcast. Oh my so gosh! You, oh. you allow me to do that for you, please. Oh, thank you. That would be oh amazing, gosh. awesome, and such a treasure. And I would love to to obviously do some sort of follow-up because I, I think, you know, we're the ongoing and, you know, different per perceptions of where men are, especially over this last year, I'm sure where so many men have, you know, reverted back to or not reverted back to, but, you know, something happened with their job and that the, the, the mm -hmm. added pressure of taking care of their family and now, you know, maybe they're working at home. I mean, my husband was always blessed. He only worked in his career, I think, three years actually in an office. We always had a home office. Oh, wow. So he was always blessed. He was in um, the CPG industry, so uh, consumer products and goods. So he was always blessed to, he was a director and then a, a VP and always worked at home. And we often talk about, you know, comparing that to what men are going to today. And now all of a sudden they're either forced home because they're homeschooling, they're helping to homeschool their children and, or they've had to pivot their profession. And you can kind of see where I'm sure there's a lot more men out there that are feeling that what you felt, that, de that depression, that not feeling well, that passion is kind of depleted. And I think, you know, your journey and your story is gonna impact so many people, men and women alike. But I think it's such a good platform to really focus on the men and 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 really where they're, what they're feeling, and you know young adults, you know teenage men, young men, you know whatever it may be. I think that really showcasing that it's okay to ask for help. Yes, indeed. Little things that you talked about why they don't. Gosh, that's that could be a whole segment in its own for for days because. 
it's the truth. I mean, they, they feel exactly how you felt. Yes. Men have to understand you're not a wimp. You're not less than, you're not weak. When you admit I'm hurting and I need help and you go get help. Love that. Wow. Well, on that note, we cannot thank you enough for sharing your raw vulnerability and your story with us. I'm absolutely blown away. Oh my gosh. My name is Janice, AKA Wellness Diva 5.0. And I am with two. So this is Carol Sue, AKA Nani Boss on this Trending Tuesday. We were so blessed to have Dr. Skip with us. We cannot thank you enough. We're so excited about getting our, our copy of the book. But we encourage all of our viewers and our audience, if you know someone, a loved one, uh, who happens to be a man, well, obviously women too, children too, but you know what? Kind of share this video and let them know that there is help and it's okay. Yes. It doesn't mean you are less than. I love the way you ended that, Dr. Skip, and it is so true. So on Trendy Tuesday, what are you going to do? Maybe go out, maybe be more mindful of those around you that may be suffering and that may need help. Start the dialogue because no one should yes. suffer for any length of time That's without right. somebody embracing and giving them help. Closing, I'm going to just leave the closing up to you, Dr. Skip, of anything else you would like to add. I would like to leave you with a prescription. And I have written this prescription for thousands and thousands of patients. Now, I want you to take this medication liberally each and every day. And understand, with this medication, it has no bad side effects. You cannot overdose on this medication it has no drug-to-drug -drug interactions. Proverbs 17.22 says, A merry heart doeth good like a medicine, but a broken spirit drieth up the bones. So today and each day, I want you to liberally laugh because medicine or rather laughter is good medicine. And on that note, we are going to sign out, guys. That was, I, I'm, I'm blown away. I'm, I, I'm a little speechless, I'm gonna say, and that doesn't happen very often. But thank you, everyone. Everyone have a great Tuesday. Take to heart with everything that you, know, you heard today and be that kindness. Make sure the kindness and the humor and laughter trickle down to others and impact yes. everyone in a positive day. Yes. With that, we will see you tomorrow for Wealth Wellness Wednesday. With that, have a great day, everyone. Bye, everyone. Mm -hmm.